right, Judges, the book of Judges in your Bible, if you would please, Judges chapter number 7. Judges chapter number 7. <clears throat> I've really enjoyed going through the book of Judges. Uh, it has been a tremendous help to me so far. Um, and anywhere you go in the Word of God, it's a help to you. You say, why is that? Because the Bible even tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means it's God-breathed and it's profitable. That means it benefits us. For doctrine, tells us what is right. For reproof, tells us what's not right. For correction, tells us how to get things right. And for instruction in righteousness, tells us how to keep things right, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That doesn't mean sinless. It means mature and wise. So how do we be mature and wise? As we get into God's Word and we study it and we let it guide our lives. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we ought to let it guide us. Judges chapter <clears throat> number 7 uh, I would invite you real quickly to stand with me as we read five verses tonight. Judges chapter number 7, starting in verse number 15. Judges chapter 7, verse number 15. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned in the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into our hand the host of Midian. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with an empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye your trumpets also on every side of all the camp. And say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set watch, and they blew their trumpet and brake the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers and held the lamps in their, hand, in their left hands and the trumpets in the right hand to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now we're going to get into this more, but I want to look especially tonight at these pitchers that they had in their hand. These are vessels that were made that are fragile vessels. And it said that what they did with these vessels is that they broke these vessels. In verse 20, and the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and held in their lamps, uh, and held the lamps in their left hand and the trumpet in their right hand to blow with all. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And as I was studying through this, God showed me some, some truths that I'd like to share tonight about this and some of the things that took place. But I want to talk about broken vessels tonight. Uh, I'm going to talk about broken vessels. And uh, that's the title of the message this evening. I believe it'll be a help to you as it was with me. But we're going to go through the chapter and talk about some of this stuff tonight. But I want to show you the significance about these broken vessels. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for the time we have to be in your house tonight. Lord, I pray that you'll be with every person that's here tonight under the sound of my voice. Lord, may they not hear the, the words of Dan Caldwell this evening. May they hear the words of God. Lord, we claim your promise that your word will not return void. We ask you to bind Satan and the devils of hell. We claim the blood of Christ upon them that they not be allowed in this place to hinder your word from going forth. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to hearts. Holy Spirit of God, would you move up and down the aisles tonight? Would you stir our hearts to be closer to you than we've ever been? Lord, as we approach this Christmas season of 2019... Lord, may we ever rejoice that we still serve a living Savior. Lord, that as we think about your birth and the celebration, how the angels rejoiced and 
people sang and all the great things that took place at your birth, Lord. May we understand that you came for a reason, Lord, and that's for us, Lord, who are undeserving of your love. But Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray that you be with those who could not be here tonight due to sickness, Lord. I know there's many that are struggling with sickness this evening. I know even my mom said she wasn't feeling well today and uh, many others that aren't, aren't feeling well. I pray that you'll heal them up quickly. Get them back to church, please. Lord, I pray for those that could not be here due to whatever other reason. Maybe it's work or something else going on. Maybe they're just caring for a loved one who's sick. Lord, I pray that you'll just intervene in that situation. Lord, we thank you for the visitors that were here today. Thank you for those that have been coming back. And Lord, for Stu and his dad joining the church this morning. What a blessing that was as well. And Lord, we ask you please just to uh, anoint your word again tonight. Lord, as it's a living book. And as we go through it, Lord, may you teach us the things that you want us to know. Lord, we love you and thank you for all your many blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. I'm going to go back a little bit. Remember we spoke about Gideon and how Gideon was making some excuses on why he couldn't be used. He had made excuses that he was the least in his house and uh, that he wasn't able to lead. And we showed how God likes people that uh, understand that they're not anybody. Uh, and we talked about that this morning. We're nobodies without the Lord. And uh, Gideon realized that there was nothing really he could do in and of himself. But uh, Gideon had done all kinds of things. He threw out fleeces and all those kind of things trying to get God's uh, guidance in this. God, are you really telling me to do this? Uh, he, he had many different things that he tried to do. Well, it, God, God did this one. He's showing me he wants me to do it. Well, let me come up with another way that maybe I can get out of this. And he says, Lord, I'm going to throw this fleece out. If it's wet on one side and dry on the other, then I know you're telling me that. He goes out, it's wet on the bottom and dry on the top. God's, he said, okay, God, how about if we do it opposite now? If it's wet on top and dry on the bottom, and I know it's you. And he comes out and there it is. And he still makes excuses all throughout this time. And he has all these men that are serving with him. And uh, you know how God wanted to do a miracle through Gideon's life to show God's power and God's mercy and all of this and God's glory and all of this. And so all the men are there. He says, Gideon, I want you to tell the men if they're afraid to go home. And you know what? Most men's pride would make him say, no, I'm not going to. He said, if you're afraid, go home. Guess what? They, a lot of them turned around and left, didn't they? They said, I'm out of here. And he said, okay, all the ones that you got left now, I want you to go down to the water and I want you to drink from the water. He said, and those that lap the water like a dog, I want you to send them home. But those that reach into the water and bring the water up to their mouth and they're looking diligently around for the enemy, he goes, those are the ones I want you to keep. And you would think, well, maybe there'd be a lot of them that would do that. Well, no, only 300 against the entire host of the Midianites. And now Gideon said, well, God, you, you know, you had the fleece. You showed me all this. Now I'm down to 300 men. And what, what are we going to do? And uh, in this passage, we're going to go back. And Gideon's still showing some fear uh, and different things like that. In verse 7, it said, And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the, thy 300 men that lapped will I, or will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into the hand, and let all the other people go, every man unto his own place. So the people took victuals in their hands and their trumpets, and sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thy hand. But if thou fear to go down, go thou to Fura, thy servant. Uh, go thou with Fura, thy servant, down to the host. 
And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hand be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Fura his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. Now, I got to this point, and I'm still thinking, well, Gideon, man, you've, you've tried to ask God, God, are you with me through all this? And God's shown you three multiple, at least three times that you're with you. I mean, you ask for one sign, he gives it to you. you. You lay out the fleece the one way, and he does that. You lay it out the second way, and he does that. And now you're, he says, if you're afraid, go down and see this. And he, he, he said, well, apparently he was afraid because he took fury and went down and came to the edge of it. And I think, you know what? I understand that he was afraid, but he should have seen God was with him already, right? We would think that. You would think about, come on, Gideon, what's going on? But guess what? We're all fearful in those areas when it comes time for battle. comes time for us to fight these battles. We get fearful because Gideon wasn't looking at whose strength it was that was going to win the battle. I think Gideon was still looking at himself. That listen, there's no way I can defeat this battle. And he was still afraid. And he went down uh, with, to the armed men. Verse 12, it says, And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children on the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the sea, seaside for multitude. Now, I've heard people say in the past, well, I don't think there was that many. So you think God lied? No, God didn't lie, did he? There was a lot of them. This is a big battle. It said they laid like grasshoppers. They were everywhere. It said their camels, they were unnumberable like the sands of the sea. I mean, here's 300 men. First off, Gideon now with fear looking down at these guys. And here, he's looking at this battle down in this valley. And he's thinking, oh, my. This is what we're up against. This is where we're at. In verse 13, And when Gideon was come down, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread came uh, tumbled into the host of the Midian and came into the tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it and the, the tent lay, lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. Now here's the enemy. They had already heard about who was coming after them, didn't they? They already heard that God had delivered the Midian. And the, the enemy of God was afraid. They were just as fearful as Gideon was, maybe, not even, maybe more so, because they weren't looking at Gideon coming down. They were looking at the God who had delivered Midian into their hand. See, the difference in Gideon and the Midianites, the Midianites, the enemies who were fighting against him, they saw, wait a second, God's coming against us. And they were fearful. They were afraid. Gideon's thinking, man, is God fighting for me? But after he heard this, remember God told him, he said, listen, you'll be strengthened by what you hear. And he goes down and he hears this. And it says, verse 15, and it was so when Gideon heard the telling of a dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshiped. And returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. See, Gideon's now starting to get the picture, isn't he? He's starting to understand that God's fighting for you. But God had a strange method. Just like when we went through the book of Joshua and uh, we spoke about Jericho and how they come up to Jericho. And God's ways are not our ways. You know, God doesn't do things the way that you would do them or I would do them. God has a better plan. 
Uh, if we were coming up to Jericho, as Joshua and them were, we would have tried to think of, I know in today's society we would think this, well, we're just going to catapult ourselves, or maybe, you know, we would do this, we'd just fly a jet over and bomb Jericho, you know. Well, they couldn't do that back then, they didn't have all that, and you know what, maybe they said, well, how are we going to ram these gates and get through this? So we try to come up with our own tactical way of defeating uh, Jericho, and God said, I want you to march around the city one time a day, six days in a row. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times. I want you to take the trumpets. I want you to blow them. And I want you to, to scream with a loud voice and holler. And the walls are going to fall down. And you go in and kill everybody. Whoa. God, really? <laughs> the walls are going to come down? And now here in Judges, here they are getting ready to face another impossible task. It seems. But here they come and God's got a plan for them. And look at what he says. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets in every man's hand and empty. Now, here's the significance. I want you to look at verse 16 with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. You say, what are you? What's the significance of this? We're going to see God's God's method here. Okay. He said he took empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said, look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I am come to the outside of the camp, it shall be as I shall do. So shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. You notice who he put first, the sword of the Lord, right? Taking the Lord's sword to fight the battle with us. But as I was looking through these things, Brother Ron, I was intrigued by the pitcher and the lamps. And I got to thinking about some things that we need to learn in this. There's some vital lessons about these picture, this picture in this that I want you to see and how God's plan even for us today in fighting the battles that we face. This picture represents to me a person's life. The Bible says that we're vessels that were made by God, aren't we? We're clay, we're made of, of vessels, we're made, we're made of dirt. You know, and all these things. And here they had these vessels in their hands. They had these pitchers in their hands. But there was something significant about these pitchers that I want you to see. And in verse 16 it said this, And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers. You see what it said? Empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. I want you to understand, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit represents light. Jesus is the light, right? The Holy Spirit is the light. And these pictures represent the people. You say, well, what are you talking about? The significance. God's showing something, I believe, in this. What God showed me in this passage of Scripture was this. That the only way light can be inside of somebody, or the light that, that the Holy Spirit's indwelling inside of somebody, is if they're empty. If they're empty, right? It said they were empty vessels. See, the fact is, you and I have to be empty of ourselves. We have to be empty of ourselves if God's going to do a work that God wants to do. See, Gideon and them couldn't defeat this battle on their own. And here, God's got a plan. I believe God was trying to teach them something through this plan. I don't believe God just does things just by sporadic. Well, let me see what I can come up with right now. God has a method for why he does what he does. And he took these pitchers and he took a lamp and put it inside the pitchers. And he took a trumpet in the hand and he says to go down. And he said, I want you to surround them. Break them up into three companies of a hundred men. 100 on each side of this valley kind of circle them and, and then you're going to blow the trumpets and you're going to break the pitchers you're going to shout the sword of the lord of gideon they're going to see the light shining all around them and they're going to be afraid 
this kind of sounds like a weird plan, doesn't it? I mean, here, they're as grasshoppers down in the valley. Their camels are as many as the sands of the sea. How in the world are 300 men going to accomplish this task? They're not by themselves. But God's going to fight for them. For the pitchers to accomplish its task, though, it had to be broken. See, if they would have just taken a pitcher and bust a pitcher, that wouldn't have really done anything about it, right? What if they had those pitchers full of, uh, full of water or something and they would have bust them? It wouldn't have had the impact that it had. Why? Because there was something inside the pitchers. There was a light. There was a light. And you say, what are you talking about in all of this stuff? See, these broken pitchers, they had to be broken. Why? So the light that was on the inside of them could shine outward. See, the, the, the fact of the matter is that the light that's inside of us as believers can never shine out if we're full of self and doing what we want to do. We have to be broken for the light inside of us to shine out. And as we go forth in life, I want you to understand some things about a broken vessel. We're going to talk about this, about brokenness a little bit here. That was part of God's plan. It said they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their hands. And they shouted the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And as I was thinking about this and thinking about the brokenness here, I read some quotes about brokenness. And uh, a man by the name M.R. DeHaan said, Before a house can be made, a tree must be broken. I got to looking at some other things uh, about brokenness. And you know, it takes broken soil to produce a crop. You got to break the ground in order for the seed to take root. It takes broken clouds to give rain. We've seen rain today. It takes a brokenness up there for rain to take place. Two things collide and then the rain comes and all of those things. It takes broken uh, clouds to produce rain. It takes broken grain to give bread. You got to grind it and put it all there, don't you? It, takes, uh, it took a broken alabaster box in the Bible to shed forth a perfume. You think about it, it was P- Peter uh, weeping bitterly before he turned to greater ministry and he got the power of Pentecost. It was Jacob limping away with his hip out of joint. Why? Because he wrestled with God and all this. It took some brokenness in Jacob's life for God to bring him back to where he wanted him to be. And as a broken vessel, we have to understand God uses brokenness not to destroy us, but to make us into what he wants us to be. See, it wasn't the, the, the picture on the outside that was going to have the significance. It was what's on the inside of the picture that was going to make the difference. See, when we get saved, you understand the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Our body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says ye are the light of the world. We have the light of the Lord Jesus with us all the time. But the reason people don't see it on the outside is because we get full of self and we don't want to let the light that's inside of us shine forth. Well, how could the enemy, how could those that were against God, how could they see the light that was inside of that picture as it had to be broken? It had to be broken. What was on the inside had to be brought out for them to see the light around them. And that was a picture of it wasn't Gideon and them fighting the battle. It was the the Lord fighting the battle for them. They held the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And God gives us some armor to fight the battles that we have. And he talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want you to look at Psalm 51, if you would, please. Take your Bible there to Psalm 51.
Look what it says in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. You know what? God doesn't despise brokenness in our lives. Why? Because brokenness produces something inside of us. It, it humbles us to the place where we can be used by God. See, all throughout this process, what God had been showing Gideon, first off, Gideon, you're the lowest there in your house. You shouldn't be doing this in and of your, yourself, realizing that, hey, I don't have the ability to fight by myself. And, oh, man, now I've got this army. I might have some uh, renewed strength in and of myself that, hey, I'm commanding all of these people, and now I'm down to 300, and I'm fighting against all these others. God kept uh, Gideon in a humbling position, didn't he? He kept humbling Gideon to the fact where Gideon had to, come to the place where he was broken see when we get broken it's a revealer of God's grace in our life see when you're broken you're a revealer of God's grace in your life when you're doing it the proper way you say look at 2nd Corinthians if you would please chapter number 12 2nd Corinthians chapter number 12 Here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and look what he is talking about here. He's talking about his thorn in the flesh and all of these things. Go up to verse number 5. He says, Of such and one will I glory, yet not of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I should not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seemeth to be, or that he heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the, revel, uh, of the revelation, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. You see what he said? Paul was saying, I don't want people to exalt in me, and I wonder why God's given me a thorn in the flesh, and it's so, to keep me humble, to keep me broken, to keep me in the place where I need to be. He said, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. He said, I asked God three times, God, will you take it from me? God, will you get rid of this thorn in my flesh? Verse 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. See, Paul was saying this, that the brokenness that I have, this thorn in my flesh, the messenger of Satan that's buffeting me, God's allowing that in my life because he knows if he can keep me broken, he can keep me humble, he can use me in the place where he wants me to be. See, when people start glorying in man and they start glorying in people, we have a lot of man worship going on in our, our country today. Uh, even churches all throughout America, a lot of man worship. Listen, you ought not to worship a man. We've been going through the book of Acts even on Wednesday night when Paul came, or remember Peter came into Cornelius' house. Cornelius fell down and worship. He stood him up and said, no, I'm, I'm just a man like you. You don't worship me. Listen, the only one worthy of worship is God. He's the one that we worship. He's the one that will never let us down. But Paul said, listen, I don't want people to look at me and think, oh, wow, look at Paul. He said, God gave me a thorn in the flesh to, to buffet me, to keep me in the place where I need to be, to keep me lower so that I can exalt him. And see, brokenness in our life, sometimes we wonder why, but it is a revealer of God's grace. 
See, he said this, most gladly will I glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. He said, I'm rejoicing in the fact of this because when I'm weak, then am I strong. When God keeps me broken, I'm, I'm then uh, totally dependent upon him and his strength. And that's where Gideon and them were against the Midianites. As God was using this method in fighting a battle, I believe, to teach them how to fight battles spiritually in their life. Was that in order for us to win battles, first off, we have to be empty. Empty of self. Getting rid of the things inside of us that are stopping us from having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You say, what are you talking about? Listen, we're, our bodies are the temple of the Spirit. But if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God, you want to have the Holy Spirit's filling in your life, guess what you're going to have to be? You have to be broken. You say, that's part of it? Being filled with the Spirit of God, that's part of it? Absolutely it is. Because when you're empty and you have that light inside of you, how are others going to see it if it's bottled up inside? See, that having it inside of you is a good thing, and we'll get to that here about our personal relationship, what's inside, but what's on the inside will eventually come out. But it took some brokenness of the pictures to shine the light of the Lord around them. Brokenness is a revealer of God's grace. I want you to look also at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, if you would please. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Look what the Bible says here in verse number 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not itself. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Now for we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even also as I am known. And now by the faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. I got to thinking about what brokenness does, and it reveals God's grace, but I also believe that it mends broken fellowship with God. You say, what are you talking about? It brings back that charity and that love. It helps us to understand when we're broken what Christ has done for you, not his body, which was broken for us. Why? Because of the love that he had for us. I thought about the brokenness of Jesus and that love that he had. It said, charity suffereth long and is kind. You think about when you've had a broken fellowship with somebody else that maybe some circumstances come in, uh, in your family or in your life or there's been some kind of broken fellowship. What is it that's going to restore that? Oh, well, they better come ask me for forgiveness. What if they never do? You know, forgiveness is a choice, but where does it come from? Love. Love. Forgiving whether they ask for it or not. 
See, it's not your obligation to forgive only if they ask for forgiveness. It's your job to forgive as a child of God. Why? Because he says, forgiven it shall be forgiven. Forgiven it shall be forgiven. The fact of the matter is none of us are perfect. None of us are above other, other things. But you know what we often want to do? We often want to have the justification that somebody came to me and apologized. You know what brokenness in our life does? It helps us to understand how fragile things are, how fragile relationships can be, how fragile things happen uh, in our lives. But brokenness helps to mend that broken fellowship. Why? Because when we look at it through the lens that God would look at it, it says, charity suffereth long, is kind. It vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. You know what? Oftentimes the reason we won't forgive is because we're full of pride. So what, what, what mends a broken relationship? Love. Love. See, that broken pot is a representation of what we need to be. The love inside of us. You know what? The Holy Spirit inside of us looks at them and he looks through the eyes of love. We look at them as, hey, well, I'm going to get revenge. It's all about me. I want to look at another passage of Scripture, Proverbs chapter 15. And verse number 1. It says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Now, I want you to understand, this is not normal nature for most of us. Uh, when we have an enemy, we have somebody that's done us wrong, we don't want to have a soft answer, do we? When somebody comes at us viciously or attacking us or doing something like that, we don't want to have a soft answer. But you know where a soft answer comes from? A broken spirit. You say, what are you talking about? Humbling ourselves. It takes being empty of ourselves to be able to have a soft answer to somebody who's trying to criticize or to do that but you know what happens most of the time we want to lash out about it we want to come back and get the last word and you know what that does it stirs up anger stirs up anger you know in a marriage relationship when you have uh you guys live together you know each other's faults better than anybody else does um but what we're good at is we're good at hanging our spouse's faults above their head you know using it putting it in there as ammunition for our next argument you know, in our next argument, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pull out that thing you did 10 years ago that I said I already forgave you for. And I'm going to hang that over your head and say, guess what? You did that. No, see, a soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. I got to thinking about it. Oftentimes, what would help us a lot in our marriages, in our homes, our relationship with our kids, our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ is when we get over ourself, empty ourself. And it'll help us in that relationship because you know what? When you're humble and you're low... You can esteem others higher than yourself. You look at others the way Christ would look at them through his eyes. See, he came to save sinners, right? That's why he came to this earth. He walked around. He, he, he loved the, the sinners. He sat with the publicans. He did all of that stuff. Even when everybody else said, why are you going to Samaria? Well, there's a woman that needs salvation in Samaria. So that's why he was going there. But the Bible said that he humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a servant. The king of kings and the lord of lords humbled himself to a point where his relationship with others was good. Why? Because the soft answer turns away wrath. Do you think how many times that we could avoid situations if we just learned the way things mended isn't by us lashing back out. It's by having a soft answer. Being kind. 
allowing charity to do what it does. It says, above all these is charity, love. Brokenness is a revealer of God's grace. He said his grace was sufficient. It's a mender of broken fellowship. I think about the prodigal son. You know what? His father would have been justified in the eyes of people to say, you're not welcome back home. When he said, I want all that, 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 that is mine, my inheritance, give it to me now. I want to go live my life the way I want to live it. His father gave it to him and said he spent it all on riotous living. But he had to come to a place where he's in the hog pen, didn't he? Had to come to a place of brokenness. Realizing it wasn't money that made him happy. Realizing it wasn't any of that that made him happy. It wasn't his friends that made him happy. It was the security he had in the father's house. And he said, listen, if I just go back to my father and tell him I'll be as a servant. I'll I'll work for him. I'll do all this stuff. Because he had to be broken to be able to mend this relationship. He comes then back to the father's house. And guess what? The father was willing to take him. And I believe, Brother Ron, the reason that, God was, that the Father was willing to take him because it was of his spirit when he came. If he would have came back demanding more, I don't believe the Father would have took him in. Why? Because that's the attitude he had in which he left. But he came back different. He came back broken. And it mended that relationship with the Father. Not only does brokenness, is it a revealer of God's grace and a mender of broken fellowship. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians, if you would, please. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it said, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Why? That we might be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So what's brokenness do? It's a revealer of God's grace. It's a mender of broken fellowship. But it's, a, it's an uplifter to those who are weak. You say, what are you talking about? Why do we get to have brokenness in our life? So we can help lift those that are going through the same experience that we're going through. Sometimes we wonder why God allows us to go through certain circumstances. Sometimes we wonder why we have to go through this low valley and we have to experience this certain thing. And we say, God, why is it? And he tells us that, listen, that the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all of our tribulation, he comforts us through it so that we might be able to comfort others that are going through the same tribulation. That, and we can show them the comfort that we got through that. So that brokenness that we have in our life is an uplifter to those who are weak. When other people are low, when they're in a discouraging time, when they're in a time in their life and they're ready to wave that white flag of surrender, they're they're ready to go out into the world, they're ready to say, you know what, I'm done with all this, I don't understand the pressure, then we who have been broken in the same situation can come to them and say, listen, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you the comfort that he brought me through this trying time. Let me share with you how when you just cling to God, what he can do through that circumstance and we can then help uplift those that are weak and struggling through that god allows his brokenness because broken vessels have a significance 
They're revealers of God's grace and menders of broken fellowship, but they're uplifters to those that are weak. Listen, we have circumstances in our life that some of you have experienced that maybe I've never experienced. And there may come a time in my life where I experience that same thing that you've ever experienced and I might be at a low point and that's where you can come to me and say, "Uh, Pastor Cole, let me tell you what God did for me. And I know you may not be understanding what's going on right now. You may be uh, just kind of wondering and maybe puzzled a little bit on why you're going through this. But let me tell you how God gave me comfort through all of this. And it can be an encouragement and a help to be uplifted when we're weak. See, God uses these brokenness Look at 1 John chapter 4. Very familiar verse while you're turning there. I'll just read it. Verse 6, 7, and 8. We are of God, and he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God's talking about love. We talked about charity and loving others. That helps mend relationships. But it also extends God's love and grace to others when you love them. Being broken in your life and sharing the love of God with others who are unlovable. You know what it does? It extends God's love and God's grace to others. He said love one another. Why? For love is of God. And everyone that loveth knoweth God. And uh, he that loveth knoweth not God. For God is love. The fact of the matter is God is love and the Holy Spirit that is inside of us. If we're not showing forth love, then what we're doing is we're hiding the light that's inside of us. Because God wants all those. He said this, if the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. You know why we won't reach other people with the gospel? Because we're full of pride. We're not broken. If we would be broken vessels, and uh, the Bible says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, will doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his seeds with him. Guess what? We need to have a broken heart again for lost souls, so the light that's inside of us can shine forth. He says, Let your light so shine before men, why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. See, when Gideon and them were coming down to the battle, God had a plan. He said, Listen, you're going to take some clay vessels in your hand. You're going to take these vessels, but inside those vessels are going to be lamps. And inside those lamps are where the power comes from. And you're going to yell something that the enemy's going to understand. When that picture's broken, it's a picture of it's not the people that are fighting. It's the one inside the people that are fighting. It's the one uh, that the, the God of the people. Because remember what he said. He said God had delivered the Midianites. Gideon heard it. He said, listen, here's the principle. Here we are, but it's not who we are that wins the battle. It's when we're broken, it's who's on the inside that fights the battle. What a picture that is. And he said, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Listen, you'll never know how to use this sword until you're broken. Never going to know how to use it until you become a broken vessel. You think you know more than God does, that's why we don't read it. You say, oh, really, preacher, that's not, I'm just busy. Listen, if you're too busy to read God's word, you're too busy. You're too busy. Why? Because what the whole purpose of it is, is to help us to be able to fight the battles. It's an extender of God's love and grace. We ought to be showing God's love and grace to other people. I want you to look at James chapter 4. We're almost finished tonight. James chapter number 4.
What else does a broken vessel do? It's a revealer of God's grace. It's a mender of broken fellowship with others and God. It's an uplifter to those who are weak. It's an extender of God's love and grace. But a broken spirit helps us surrender to God's leading in our life. To have complete surrender to Him. Look at James chapter 4 and verse number 7. Look what it says. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Do you notice God put that in perfect order? Because you cannot resist the devil without submitting to God. You can't do it. If you're not broken and willing to submit yourself to God, you're not going to be able to resist Satan because you'll be full of flesh. You have to have some brokenness in you to submit to God. We think of that word submission as a bad thing. When we hear the word submit, we think, oh, I I can't submit. Listen, submission to God is a command. He said submit. Submit to God. If we don't submit to God, we can't resist the devil. And he's not going to flee from us. He tells us to draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart. (coughs) Excuse me. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Again, put it in perfect order. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Then it says this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. You understand you cannot cleanse your, cleanse your hands or purify your heart unless you draw nigh to God. God put that in a perfect order. And all this comes from being broken. All this comes from uh, putting yourself in the proper order. Is you're not up here and God is down here. It's in all things He has preeminence. God is first. And this battle Gideon was facing, they were about to learn a very valuable lesson. That it didn't matter their skill, it didn't matter how good they were, it didn't matter anything about that. All that mattered was what light were they shining and whose sword were they fighting with. It was the Lord. The Lord. And listen, the way we're going to win the battle is letting our light so shine before men and using the sword that God's given us. The Word of God. Listen, the Midianites, if you read through the story, they begin to kill themselves. They began to fight against each other. They were so terrified by looking around and seeing all these lights shining and the trumpet that had blown. And they heard these voice, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they just began to slaughter each other. Gideon and them didn't have to do anything but just let God fight their battle. But you know what? It took humility. It took some brokenness. It took them understanding that God was the one fighting their battle. See, a pitcher had to be totally empty to conceal the torch. And understand, we have to be totally empty inside of us for us to be filled with the Spirit of God. You say, what do you mean? I, I thought I got as much when I got saved. Yeah, but you've got to empty yourself, empty you of self before you're going to be filled with the Spirit. You've got to get rid of you because guess what? The Holy Spirit's not going to dwell where sinful pride is. You say, I thought he lived inside. Oh, he is. But as far as the feeling and him, him, him uh, having that relationship and that communion with you isn't going to be there if you're full of junk. You've got to get it cleaned out. There's some sin in your life that you're not willing to get rid of. Guess what? The, the Holy Spirit inside of you is not, not helping you do what you need to do. Why? Because he's resisting it. He resisted the proud, right? But he giveth grace to the humble. 
Humbleness means God giveth grace to the broken. We get God's grace and we understand the goodness of God's grace when we're broken. But the pitcher had to be totally empty to conceal the torch, but it had to be broken to reveal it. It had to be broken to reveal it. You understand, if we don't have a personal relationship with God individually in and of ourselves, we're never going to have that filling of the Holy Spirit as well. But then if we don't take what's there and we, we are a broken vessel and shine forth that light to the world, they're never going to see the light that's inside of us. What a great picture it is. Listen, we need to keep a fire burning inside. They weren't shining inside of them for all to see. Everybody on the outside couldn't see the burning light until it was broken, but it had to be shining on the inside first. You understand that that light had to be shining inside before it could be shine on the outside. If they would have never put the light inside the vessel, the people on the outside would have never seen the light once it was broken. It would have just been a broken pot with no significance. But once they broke that pot, they were shining forth that light that was on the inside. It said they, they held the lamps in their hands and the trumpet in the other and yelled the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And guess what? They were, they were effective for God all through brokenness. What a principle that we see in the word of God. You understand John the Baptist. Look what it said in John chapter 5. Look back at the Gospel of John chapter 5. You know John the Baptist, that forerunner of Christ, that one who said the voice of one crying in the wilderness, he's out there proclaiming the Lord. But John chapter 5 and verse number 35, look what it says. He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. Listen. But then he says this, but I have a greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father hath given me to finish. The same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. He said John was a burning and a shining light. And you know what? People looked at John and they thought, man, maybe this is the Christ. Maybe this is him, whatever. And then Jesus shows up when he's baptizing people. And he said, John, I want you to baptize me. And I'm paraphrasing. This isn't word for word. And John says, I shouldn't be baptizing you. He said, I'm not even worthy to unlace his shoes, to unlatch his shoelace. And you want me to baptize you? He said, I can't do this. But then after Jesus is baptized and he starts his ministry, what do you hear about John? Not much, do you? See, because you know what? It wasn't about John. He was a messenger for Christ. See, he was a burning and a shining light. But his attitude was, John chapter 3 and verse number 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. That was John's testimony. John's testimony is, he must increase, I must decrease. Oh, you know what? I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that say, man... That my pastor has his picture in the sword of the Lord. And a lot of people glory in that. They'll say, man, look, my, my picture's in this paper. I get invited to preach at this big conference all across the world. Man, and they glory in themselves. But the fact of the matter is this. If you're ever going to be effective for God, you have to understand it's not about you. It's all about Him. And John came out and he preached. Man, he even called him a generation of vipers. He said, listen, uh, he, he preached with boldness. 
But when Jesus came on the scene, when Jesus was around, he said, it's not about me. He's the one that you need to glory in. And listen, we ought to be bold and shout for the Lord. We ought to stand up for right. But when people see the light, they need to understand where the light came from. It's not me. It's who's on the inside that people need to see. And that's going to help you win the battle. That's going to help you fight it. And that ought to be our attitude. Is he must increase and I must decrease. As I was going through Judges there and I read about those broken lamps and the light on the inside of them, it said they were empty and the light was put inside of them. I thought, man, what a principle that we get to see through that. Is that until we're empty of self, we'll never be filled with the Spirit. Let me ask you this. Is there anything in your life that's filling up part of that vessel that's not letting the Holy Spirit have complete reign in your life? Is there anything inside of you that's hindering God from being effective in your life because you're just not willing to submit and give Him complete control? If you're not willing to do that, listen, it's going to affect what people see on the outside. Because if you're not willing to do that, guess what? You're full of pride and God says, I resist the proud. But he giveth grace to the humble. See, Paul went through a lot of things in his life. He was stoned, left for dead, all these things. He said, but I glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Broken vessels. There's a significance to them. We need to learn from them. With our heads bowed and eyes closed.